minds are so powerful that what we focus on reverberates through every aspect of our lives. So why not see what happens when we put our attention on all the good things people are doing? Join me for the good with Teresa G as we start a ripple effect by focusing on all the greatness in the world. Happy 2020, friends. My intention for all of us is that we walk through this next decade with complete health and joy. If you are new to listening to the show, we welcome you. And if you have been listening to the show since the beginning, we thank you so much for your continued support. Today, I feel blessed to have Elaine Huang here with us. Elaine is a spiritual teacher and owner of Embodiment of Freedom. As a spiritual teacher, Elaine provides spiritually-based intuitive guidance to individuals and leads illuminating meditation intensives for groups. People who seek the services of Elaine want true freedom and joyful fulfillment in their lives. They're often searching for spiritual answers and a sustainable sense of peace. I was referred to Elaine by one of my dear old friends, and after a session with her, I immediately invited her on the show. If you are looking for some spiritual and enlightened feedback about anything you're going through right now, I suggest you book an appointment with Elaine. Thank you so much for coming here today, Elaine. Oh, goodness, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's really a joy and a special privilege. I can't thank you enough. So, oh, I would love to get a little bit of background on you. So can you start with just telling us a little bit about your childhood? So during my childhood, I think that, you know, I was always searching for avenues of peace without knowing it. So I hung out in the nature center in my backyard in upstate New York a lot, climbing trees and feeling such a, a beautiful sense of peace. And I think that was to counterbalance my experience of stress, you know, as a child, being highly sensitive, also being Asian and a female and being the first generation of my family being born in America. But I think I was born with an innate sense of searching for something greater and always feeling a deeper longing for that and finding ways to access it also through prayer. Again, like time climbing trees and experiencing God's peace in the wind. Mm, that's beautiful. So nature was always has always been a big part of your life. I think that's where my pursuit of peace started. And so then I later found it through yoga and meditation and also prayer but not in a traditional kind of way. So it's like praying to the powers that be. I think that all paths of spirituality are valid and valuable. And a lot of them have the same grains, you know, intertwined throughout them. Yes, it's very true. That's what I, what I notice as well. So did your parents teach you, did you guys pray at, while you were um, growing up, or did you bring prayer into your practice later in life? My mother used to tell me that, you know, prayers were always answered, and she grew up in Catholic schools in China, but we actually were not a church-going family. So I just knew to pray when needed, and 
boy, upstate New York has amazing trees. It's so lush and we get, we had like unbelievable amounts of moisture. Like I think we had the most cloudy days in Endicott, New York than any other town in the country. And it was so lush and the presence was just palpable. And, you know, I didn't know what I was contacting. I wasn't really sure, you know, it's only with hindsight that I'm able to describe this. Makes me, th- it reminds me of my childhood because I was always just wanted to be up in the mountains. That was my favorite thing. And I remember when we first drove into Montana, um, I don't know how many of you guys have been to Montana, but I remember we were driving to Paradise Valley and I looked at those mountains in Paradise Valley and I thought that they were heaven. <laughs> like yeah. I was like, we have arrived at heaven. Is this heaven? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, isn't that something? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, children really know they, it's like where the presence of the divine seems more apparent when we're, when we're in nature. So what inspired you to become a psychotherapist? I had a counselor in college that really helped me. I knew that I would go back, you know, I experienced a lot of anxiety in undergrad. I was in a university of Texas at Austin and it was way too big of a university for a sensitive person. And so she really helped me. And so even though the first six years of my career or five years was in retail, I worked my way up to a buyer position. And then I knew that eventually I would go back to the helping profession. So she helped me so much and I wanted to also help people pull out of a deep sense of pain. And so that's when I went back to grad school and got a master's in social work. And then I found that it wasn't clinical enough. So then I pursued a doctorate in clinical psychology, but didn't complete the last um, about nine courses and a dissertation. So I came out to Montana at that time after providing counseling for six years in Chicago and also offering meditation classes um, because it was during that time right before grad school that I found meditation and it changed my life within a week. And so I knew that my, my special spot in life was to offer something that was both spiritual and not knowing how and if the psychology would fit in. But I felt that the psychology would be important to give me credibility in the field of spirituality, because I didn't want to come across as an ungrounded new ager. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thought that the credentials would give me clout for what I was talking about. That is what really grabbed me there is that the whole, the meditation changed your life in a week. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So I was practicing. I saw this woman in my high-rise apartment in Chicago. The the gym was upstairs and she was running and radiant, but her running was like prancing on a treadmill. (laughs) And I thought, oh my goodness, what is she doing on that treadmill? It sure doesn't look like running, but she looks like she's so happy. So I I approached her and I said, what do you do? And she goes, I do yoga. You must come with me. So Shivananda is very traditional Hatha yoga. There was a yoga center in Chicago. 
And the Swami there, I mean, I practiced and felt so good that I went like three times a week and then did at home practice just almost daily. And he said to me, Swami Padma said, you know, you love yoga, you must meditate. So I hesitated knowing in my heart that once I meditated, it would change my life dramatically. And I began to meditate and it wasn't quite at that point. I meditated with the mantra focused meditation for nine months. And then I met eventually students that studied with Akira, my meditation teacher who taught me the breath focused meditation, which is more Zen style. And that was the meditation that changed my life within a week. I was in therapy for weekly for about four years, and there was a sadness that was persistent that was not alleviating, was not lifting. And within the first week of meditating 20 minutes, two times a day, the sadness lifted. It shifted. I had this joy from within. I felt indescribably peaceful and irritation rolled off my shoulders. I had so much more patience. I was radiant, like my friend Sherry. And, you know, people around me were asking what I was doing. The therapist that I was seeing at the time was also perplexed. You know, she was more Freudian and barely spoke to me. But when she experienced noticing this shift within me, she said she began to talk to me and ask me what I was doing. So wow. at that, I know at that point I began, you know, I looked for a therapist who was also a meditator and found one. And then I was on fire. You know, I, I practiced daily and um, I waited for three more years, but I really wanted to teach as many people how to meditate as I could. And I taught about a thousand people in Chicago before leaving about 50 classes in the corporate setting. You know, I knew that spirituality was a very important component to people's sense of happiness and wellness, along with psychotherapy. I'm a huge advocate of that. But the spiritual connection did something dramatically different. So when you say you started off with a mantra meditation, what is a mantra meditation? So a mantra meditation is you're giving the mind a point of focus. And what you're doing is you're limiting your sensory input so that you can go towards the world within you, the unseen world that coexists alongside this physical reality. And so the mantra is powerful because it's of the Sanskrit language. So the sound and the power of the Sanskrit language alone is transformative. So people might be drawn to that form of meditation. And I was using Omnama Shivaya, which is connected to the Lord Shiva, mm -hmm. who is the destroyer and the creator. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, nine months after daily, you know, summoning Lord Shiva's for his grace and help, you know, my life did change a lot. My, the, my career path, um, a marriage began to shift, you know, was under challenge and then I switched to breath focus. So you're ever giving the mind a point of focus so that it doesn't get too uncomfortable. And then there's this inner transformation that happens when you are immersing yourself in the energy fabric 
that coexists with this physical reality. It's not a reality that we see, but we might sense it. And that is where actually lies the greatest source of peace and joy is in this unseen realm. So when we are meditating, we're staying in physical reality, but we're consciously connecting to the, you know, some people describe it as consciousness or presence or awareness or the quantum field. And that's where we all originated from. And it's tremendously healing. It reminds you of everything that you are at your core. And it begins to consume your human anxieties and, and concerns. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't also do all the other things that improve our well-being, you know, like our diet, our psychology, our life circumstance, all of that matters. But there's a component that all of those other areas don't really touch in the way that practice such as meditation can. And the beauty of meditation is that it's so simple, you know, that people can't even believe that it does all that it does. And they often think mistakenly that they're doing it incorrectly because it appears so simple. But there's something deeply mystical and transformative and powerful that's happening when you're in the practice, even though you don't sense it. You feel the benefits of it afterwards and throughout your life. And there's so many different forms of meditation. And I sort of want to talk about that because for me, I have problems sitting, <laughs> sitting still. And so I had talked to you about how I really liked walking meditation because I love to walk. I love to be in nature and it gives me a sense of calmness. But what are your thoughts about walking meditation and what are other ways that people are able to meditate? Walking meditation is absolutely a valid path of meditation and you're not alone. A lot of people find discomfort in sitting meditation. I think based on personality and what the physical body needs. Also, there are times when there's a lot of emotional content that we don't necessarily want to sit with. So we may avoid being with what might arise when we're sitting still. Also, the personality and the mind can be afraid of awakening to your divine nature because the mind wants to pretend, our personalities want to pretend that we have control over life. And when you're immersing yourself into ultimate reality, there's no such thing as the separate self. And there's no such thing as having any control over the greater wholeness and oneness. So walking meditation is absolutely a path towards contacting and immersing yourself into that oneness that you really are on an energetic or spiritual level. Um, there's also lying down meditation. And, you know, anytime that we're in flow or in the zone or unified with what we're doing and not following thought, you are also connecting then that greater reality while in physical, in the physical realm, physical realm or physical world. So you're, you're staying in the intersection of these two realms of reality. We are multidimensional beings. We're physical and non-physical. So when you're in oneness, 
you're contacting both the physical dimension of self and reality and also the ultimate reality of a life and of yourself. And so then you're contacting and being nourished by all that endless peace that is always available to you. And you just feel such an inner contentment. And it begins to train you to be familiar with that pathway instead of following too often the pathway towards stress and anxiety. So you're counterbalancing the effects of stress and building your resilience and staying connected to your spiritual home. The beauty of having a practice is that You know, we might say, well, I'm going to try to be mindful in the day, but you may or may not do it. You know, so when we set aside time, so if you're setting aside walking meditation time while you're exercising, um, that that's, you know, a beautiful habit. So it's about making sure to create time for it because the benefits are so vast. Can we talk about the mental chatter? Because this has been an issue for me and I've had a lot of people talk about it. So when you meditate, your brain should be silent. Is that true? I'm so glad you're bringing up this question because I think it's the number one reason why people stop meditating is that they have this misconception that they have to stop thoughts from occurring. So what happens is thoughts become more in the background. So you might experience your thoughts, but you're hearing them as if you're hearing background noise. So your awareness and attention are being focused on breath or a mantra or a visual. You know, you might be staring at a candle in front of you and just breathing. So you're giving the mind something to focus upon, but thoughts will happen and it's not an issue but they're not your your primary focus. And what you learn then, do, you're training your attention to not follow stressful thoughts as often. So you're learning that, you know, thoughts can come and go, but you're what is aware of the thoughts coming and going. And it's not a problem if you go and follow thought that keeps persisting, but when you're ready, just come back to your breath or your mantra, or your visual focus. Thoughts are really not a problem. We're just training our minds to attend to um, what is not as apparent, which is what is noticing thought. You know, we, we are not thought. We are not emotions. We are not this just this body. You are what is aware of thought, emotions, and this world of form. So you're both form and your formlessness. And you're cultivating that knowing that you're some you're part of something vaster and greater. So you can notice thought without being overtaken by it or overwhelmed by it. Because thought is probably the greatest um, source of stress that we all contend with. Mm, and you know completely. yeah right mm-hmm. so the the number of thoughts that we have that are actually accurate is very minimal you know but we act as if the mind is generating a thought and the thought you know we think our brains are very smart and so that it must be true but you know never believe a thought without examining 
whether it's actually accurate. You know, it's often catastrophizing. You know, we, it's like I, you know, my mind is like a inner drama queen who's often histrionic. And, you know, <laughs> we <laughs> always playing out the worst case scenario. It's true. It's true. Right. So you're, it's like having a noisy little sister or neighbor and you just don't always believe it, you know? So you, so then you're bringing the peace to that part of yourself because these thoughts are often connected to a subpersonality within us. But meditation training doesn't take it that far. You just don't give thought too much power. You don't give away your peace to the thought that's generated. But you offer it kindness. You know, you could, if it persists, you can say, oh, I know this looks really stressful. We're okay. You know, we're okay. We, we can handle what comes. And let's see what else unfolds, you know, so treat it like a child if it's persistent. But a lot of thoughts, if you let them go, they'll just dissipate. If you don't give them life and energy, they'll just melt away. Yeah. And that really goes with the whole idea of this podcast of, you know, letting go the thoughts of fear and drama and trauma and really feeding the thoughts of joy, health, and happiness, but recognizing that those other thoughts are going to come by, but we don't need to feed them. That's right. We don't need to reinforce them. Right. And that's what your your whole mission is about, is how do you emphasize the good? Mm-hmm. And that's right. That So brain science and neuroscience is showing that the less we go there, the more those neural circuitries fall apart. We don't reinforce them. Now, given we may have to do therapy to help us let go of... Absolutely. I love uh, therapy. Holy cow. (laughs) Yes. I'm a huge advocate. I keep using it whenever needed. And now we have beautiful approaches, eye movement desensitization, reprocessing, EMDR, and somatic experiencing that effectively treat trauma. So that can help those ingrained negative thinking or fearful thinking can help to alleviate that. And then we want to keep reinforcing or just savoring the good moments because that develops the pathways and makes it easier for us to notice the beauty in physical life, but also from within ourselves more often, more easily when we keep, that's what part of what meditation does is it enhances your capacity, strengthens it to take in and notice and be nourished by the good that's always here. I love that. It sounds like you've always had, well, we all have an intuitive nature, but when was it? Was it meditation and yoga that really helped you to build your intuition so that you can use it in your practice to help others? Well, you know, I don't don't think I've, ever publicly told the story, but I had my teacher, Akira, I would go to him every week and meditate. We'd have two hour sessions. So he would talk to me for an hour and then we'd meditate together for an hour. And after a while, he began to send me home with objects and asked me to tune into them. And he said, you know, be with us and come back and tell me about this person. 
And after a few times, it really kind of freaked me out because that was the last thing I needed to be both Chinese American, a woman, spiritual, and then psychic on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know what? I can relate. I can definitely relate to that idea of me, you know, me thinking, well, that's the last thing I need to do is add to my list (laughs) of things going against me. (laughs) Oh gosh. Or being different or unique. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so after a few sessions, I asked him, you know, could we please with with respect, may we please stop this homework assignment? It's making me very uncomfortable. I have no desire to develop my intuition. I'm not coming to you for that. I only want to meditate with you. And it was so beneficial for me to be in his field. He was very awake. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so he stopped, but he said, okay, we can stop this, but I want you to remember that your intuition is going to come in strongly and you will use it to serve. And I said, oh, Akira, I think being a a psychologist is a fine way to serve. And I promise that I, I, you know, I won't let you down. So after about, yeah, maybe five years of daily yoga and meditation practice, maybe I missed like five sitting periods within seven years. I was so disciplined in my time. I know. My intuition was enhanced because you're connecting to that ultimate reality that we're all one with. So it's not mystical. You know, people, business people have intuition about deals. Um, Mothers have intuition with their kids. And I use my intuition just to be really efficient with the work I'm doing with people. So when people are seeing me, I can contact what, what type of flow they're in and how it's best used. And just make our time together more efficient instead of assessing people over four to six sessions. You know, I can just mm-hmm. get right down to the heart of things. You definitely do. Oh, <laughs> you definitely you. do get down <laughs> deep into the heart of things right away. Um, <laughs> at least that was my experience. <laughs> intuition, the concept, the idea of intuition has been huge in this podcast. And even in my Instagram stories lately, I've been talking to people and I think that the deal is, is I feel like how for me personally, let's just talk about me for a second, everyone. <laughs> so yeah. um, for me, I have always had a really powerful intuition. It was, it was really, really strong as a child. Yeah. Like just so powerful that I could tell you things. I mean, I could, I could help my mom get places just by my intuition. You know, it was super powerful. And then I went through a stage in my life where I was was sort of pushing my intuition away because I was in a stage in my life where it was really going against uh, my morals and my values as a person. And, And during that time period, I really pushed my intuition away. And then it was a whole process of re listening to my intuition and re growing those seeds of intuition and mm-hmm. just recognizing that I would, yes, again, listen. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us go through this in life and the world that we live in. And the big thing for me was then navigating through telling the difference between intuition and mental chatter. Right. So that just takes practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, a kind of a feeling And I think different people have different things. Like they might experience intuition and truth 
through something that's body related. Or for me, it's a feeling like I can feel the rightness of it, or it's like a yes, or it could simply feel good or not good. And then we have different channels that information can come through, you know, like we might receive an image. So it's like you imagining what your vehicle looks like out in the parking lot. So that's the same place that we receive dreams. So if you receive an image from that ultimate reality or that fifth dimension, that's information. Or it may be in the body, you know, where it just simply feels good or not good. Like you just need a yes or a no. And then sometimes it's hearing. It comes in through our hearing, Claire audience. I receive information that way. It comes in like a thought, but the quality of the energy is without feeling almost, without like personal feeling. It's just a a knowing. And then it's, well, actually that's through the body. There's clairsentience. So you can know something through the body or in in the mind, like just a, wow, I know, I know that this is true. So there, that's claircognizance. And clairaudience is that information comes in as a thought, but it's neutral. It's like not as charged with your personality's feelings or interpretations. So I don't know if that helps. No, it does help. And, you know, I wonder, I wanted to ask, does trauma sometimes cloud intuition? Trauma can both cloud, but also enhance intuition. Mm -hmm. So people who've gone through trauma had to learn how to be on high alert, you know, especially if trauma would happen at home or regularly, you had to know how to read the situation and other people around you to make yourself safe. So both, you know, it can enhance, but also make it difficult to access what you're feeling if there's undischarged energy from the trauma, because really that's what trauma is, is that we're overloaded and overwhelmed in the moment and can't handle everything that's hitting us. So we set aside what, you know, we can't take in. And then that's what we go back in to be with. And they're really, it's being with it, not necessarily reliving the trauma, but you go back in to be with the energy that's translating into as sensation and feeling in the body. You know, we're finding out through trauma therapy, trauma theories, that, you know, retelling the story isn't necessarily beneficial. It may be a part of the healing process, but more so it's about being present with the sensations and emotions that you didn't have the ability to be with then, now in the moment of 2019. You have the capacity to be with it while you're safe. And it's also very much like meditation or mindfulness training. When we're meditating, we're noticing what is arising and then apparent, and then it dissipates. So you're training your capacity to be with what was previously uncomfortable sensations and experiences. And you can, you find that you can be with it all. You know, it's really these sensations that we're running from because they were associated and linked with negative situations in the past. So we're ever building our confidence that we can be with our experience with life when the conditions are just so. And that even though there were moments of overwhelm, you know, we can tend to what was unfinished 
in the moments when we're, we are more available. I love that. And it, and that goes with even, you know, for all my DNRS listeners, that is super powerful because we use that technique even with food sensitivities or different kinds of sensitivities and fears, it's basically just rewiring our brain to recognize we can be with those things or we can eat with those things. And it's life-changing. Right. And it works. Yes. Yeah, it absolutely works. Yes. Instead of having that energy unmet, because you're the divine presence, for everything that arises in you and it's very healing for it it just has to be acknowledged and experienced and then it goes it melts back into the ocean of all that is so you're you're the divine presence for everything that's arising within you and your life and your experience so yes you're relinking what was previously linked with something very stressful to now very neutral and very manageable. So powerful. And kindness. Yes. I think that the intuition aspect for me, it's ebbs and flows. And I have great intuition about other people. You know, <laughs> I can meet other people and be like, oh, wow. And then um, I have great intuition with big, big events in my life. It's just the everyday small things there, I, which I'm working on with my meditation practice. But and just connecting to the other dimensions and the energy field. But uh, where I, I can't make up my mind what's good for me. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And this is just a stage I'm in. And I'm, I'm okay with that stage. It's been a great learning process. So Yeah, well, it sounds like sometimes we just have different aspects of ourselves that want different things. So sometimes we're negotiating between those inner selves. You know, even though there might be an overall resonation about what the right step is, Mm. we might have conflict over it (laughs) with our inner selves. So we then we kind of come up with a team plan that best meets all those different sides of ourselves needs. That is so true. Right. That is so true. (laughs) So can you talk to us about the gift of recognizing impermanence? Yes. So this is such an important spiritual truth that everything has a life of its own. There's a beginning and end to everything, whether it's your breath, whether it's an emotion, whether it's a thought or sensation or situation or a challenge. So everything is impermanent, but your true nature, your divine essence. So the spiritual essence of you is this energy that makes up the universe. So Einstein discovered that the field is what gives life to the world of form, that gives life to the particle that we are 99.9999999, it goes on, percent energy and 0.000001% particle or matter. So what you are energetically is the only thing that goes on forever. Everything else is impermanent and has a beginning and end. So to remember this truth, 
when you're going through something difficult, it can really give you peace. It can really provide freedom. Knowing that whatever you're in has an end and that nothing you are experiencing is solidly difficult or unpleasant or painful. It shifts if you notice. If you follow mind and mind will tell you, this is terrible, I can't bear it, drop into the body and find out if it's actually unbearable. Maybe there's tightness in your stomach. Maybe there are butterflies. But you have the capacity to be with it. But not if the mind is telling you, describing an event and locking you into an interpretation that isn't accurate. So to remember everything rises, lives, and then falls. Yeah, that's really important and really important for me. I use that often because my mind will start saying, oh, this is good. What if this lasts forever? <laughs> the whole panic. Right. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? This isn't going to last forever. Yeah. Think about all the things you've got been through. Exactly. They all ended, you know, right. or your body healed or whatever it is. And that yeah. brings me to a calmer place. Yes, most definitely. Yes, it's it's a truth. Every problem, every challenge we have ever had has resolved itself one way or the other, not on our time frame, not in the way that we thought, usually in a better way than we imagined. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're trusting in this force that gives life to everything, whatever you call it. Trust in the force. Right. Yes, trust in the force. Trust in this life, mm-hmm. right, to take care of things. So everything is like a verb, except for your divine essence is unchanging. Everything else in the world of form is like a verb. It's ever in motion, ever in movement, ever shifting, never the same. Not even your body since we began this podcast. The cells are different. New cells have been born. Old cells have died. You and I are even different. Yes, I am definitely better. <laughs> we started the podcast. Oh. <laughs> so every everyone I have on, I have to I always ask, what do you do every day to be your best self? To be sure to nourish my sense of peace. Usually that's through meditation or silence. So maybe I'm not speaking, even if I'm chopping vegetables in the morning and I'm noticing the inherent peace that's alongside activity. So there's a stillness, you know, the stillness that's always available to us, that's always here. So I make a point of emphasizing that noticing, usually in the morning, but as often as possible throughout the day. So even if you're present in the moment and not following thought, you are accessing that stillness. So you're accessing this deeper level of reality. So I feed that circuitry to strengthen it and to keep it alive and strong. And I just want to continue to be consumed by that peace and the divine 
you know, so that I have resilience in times of emotional reactivity and I'm able to find my center more quickly. And so sometimes it's through listening to beautiful, inspiring music. And I also work with my breath a lot. So if I'm noticing that I'm starting to go into anxiety or less awareness of the peace that's ever present, I will start to breathe slowly and fully. So I usually, you know, with a formal practice of meditation, but also there are all those other little tricks throughout the day that you can use to build your awareness of your spiritual home and stay connected to it while you're moving through your day. Well, that is a first, huh, guys? To be connected to your spiritual home throughout the day. Love it. You guys stay tuned. Elaine is going to guide us through a really powerful centering meditation. And I'd love for you to join us for that. And thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy yourselves out there. So a great way to start is first thing in the morning, you know, so you might get a drink of water and change your clothes. But before you start doing anything else, which is the old habit, you might sit in a place in your home and keep using the same place because you're changing the energy field around that sitting spot. Mm. And right. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And it will hold you like it will start vibing at a more higher frequency and sacred, you know, kind of have a feeling of sacredness. Like you notice in churches or, you know, temples or Dharma centers, there's an energy and the meditation area or the prayer, the sanctuary, because of the communion, you know, and the prayer and the focus that is, has occurred in those places. So in your home, just, you know, be comfortable. If you're sitting on the floor, you might have a meditation cushion, which is called a Zafu, or just a rolled up pillow that kind of bolsters your glute muscles so that your knees will fold comfortably in front of you on the floor. And then if you're sitting in a chair, it's no problem. Just sit comfortably with your back relatively well-supported and your neck and shoulders are held in a relaxed position, not up towards your ears. Your jaws relaxed. Your lips are gently held together. You're not clenching your teeth. You can have your eyes opened or closed. If you feel sleepy, you can open your eyes, but sleepiness is not a problem because your body's just not used to you slowing down your brain waves while you're awake. And your feet are flat on the floor if you're sitting in a chair. And then you can use a hand mudra, which circulates that divine energy that you're accumulating while you're meditating. So thumb tip and index finger tips touching, forming like a soft circle. And then the three other fingers are resting open. Palms might be facing upward or facing downward on top of your thighs is a good position for your hands. And then another connection point is tip of the tongue to the roof of the mouth right behind your two front teeth, light touch. It also accumulates the energy that created you, that also heals you. So it's accumulating and circulating that energy. So tip of the tongue to the roof of the mouth, somewhere 
between um, the middle of the roof of the mouth and the two front teeth, a light touch, like you're saying the word love with like a la, light touch. And then you would inhale abdominally. So inhale, drawing your breath down your spine, inflating an imaginary balloon in your lower belly. And then exhaling, drawing your stomach back towards your spine. And then inhaling, belly rises. And then exhale, drawing your stomach back towards your spine. And you're resting your tension as often as possible on this breathing. And you're letting sounds like the sound of my voice be in the background. And you're noticing sensation or thought, but you're keeping attention on your breathing. Inhaling, belly moving outward. And exhaling, drawing your belly towards your spine. There's so many problem-free moments, such as this moment. And just letting what might arise, but not bringing your attention to it. Staying focused on your breathing. This is recalibrating your nervous system. building your immunity and your resilience. Less us on your body, mind, and heart. You are immersing yourself in your true essence. the greatest source of peace that's always available, always accessible to you. It's no problem if your mind wanders and when you're ready just gently bring your attention back to your breath there's no need to doubt whether or not you're doing this correctly All meditations are good ones.
you are being transformed from the inside out. You are the peace that you yearn for. You are the love that you seek. Always right here, right now. Now gently bringing your awareness and attention back to your physical forms. Noticing the weight of your body. Feeling your back. Your shoulders, your head. your arms, your hands resting on your lap. Noticing your torso, your pelvis, the weight of your legs and your feet. bringing your attention all the way back to your body. And when you're ready, slowly and gently open your eyes. Wow, thank you so much. That was so (laughs) calming for my whole body. Oh, very good. Yes, it doesn't take long, Teresa. That's the beautiful thing. Thank you so much, Elaine, for joining us in this space of growth today. It is with sincere gratitude that I thank you for helping so many people feel more at ease in their lives while helping them to recognize the truth of who they are and assisting them to embody more completely the freedom, power, and love that is possible for all of us. Oh, Teresa, thank you so much for having me as a guest, for all the goodness and beauty and inspiration that you put forth in our world. I'm Teresa Gabrielle, and you've been listening to The Good with Teresa G. You can follow The Good with Teresa G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to the Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.